Welcome to another episode of the Miles Offside Podcast, where we talk a little bit of football and a whole lot of nonsense. My name is Oscar Puente, also known as Free From Afar, and with me on the other line is my co-host, Super Producer Ian Stimson. Ian, we go again without one of the three. Chuck is not doing well. Chuck, we love you. We hope you feel better very soon. We'll be missing him, but you guys did have a meetup on Saturday. I want to hear all about it. You got to meet some of the Patreons. You guys got some drinks. How, what was that like? Fill me in. It was good, although now Chuck's ill, I'm a little bit worried as we were doing many open-mouth kisses, uh, only some of them after drunk <laughs> being drunk. So, yeah, a little bit worried. No, it was good. It was good. We saw uh, producer Mark and uh, John OG for a, for a drink. It was good. Yeah, it was good, good times. It's a shame the football wasn't better. It was only Arsenal, Newcastle, and then later... Brighton leads, so it's a little bit disappointing. But yeah, no, good times were had. That's great to hear. Uh, oh, you know what? It's only me and you this week. How's Posh Island going? Let's check in on them. What's what's up with the championship? Fill me in. <laughs> yeah, sure, sure, sure. Um, yeah, we're still in the relegation zone. I was saying this to Chuck on Saturday. It's it's getting worrying now because uh, what's that been like? Nineteen games or something. It's started starting to shake out. And yeah. we are not doing well. You know, before now, you could go, oh, it's still early, still early. It's not early anymore. And uh, people traditionally have a terrible Christmas. Uh, the only the only year oh, we don't. okay. Yeah, the only year we didn't was last year when we got promoted. But uh, I can't see it happening. It's just, it's tricky to see where points are coming from, to be honest. So, yeah, I am. I wasn't worried before, and I am worried now. So mm, the, the numbers agree with you. 538 has them at 68% to go down as of now. Um, which is second favorite so i'm sorry to be the bearer of bad news there Um, we've never we never had a better chance to stay in the championship there's two teams with points deductions and yeah (laughs) it's not a good look when we were out johnny og was saying uh oh that's how you want to stay up isn't it with uh, the tea ladies losing their jobs from other (laughs) other other clubs i'm like yeah i'll take it at the minute i'll take it (laughs) Yeah, and you know anybody in the same position would like they'd be lying to you if they said not. (laughs) Oh, it's depressing. Well, if you are joining us for the first time, thank you. We are very happy to have you. We are normally two Brits and one American, and we try to talk about the Premier League, but often get distracted. Um, If you're coming back, thanks. We love you. We appreciate it. Leave us a review, five stars. Patreon.com/slash Miles Offside and or Patreon.com/slash Miles Offside Pod. Yes, Ian, I will make that joke until the day we die. Um, But let's kick things off around here as we always do with our famous, famous segment: Rapid, rapid, rapid fire news. Our top story: uh, Lionel Messi, best player in the world, done won the Ballon d'Or. PSG and Argentina forward... Ooh, that feels gross to read. Uh, Lionel Messi won the Ballon d'Or, awarded to the best footballer of the year for a record seventh time. Messi, 34, helped his country win the Copa America, his first international honor, and has scored 40 goals in 2021, 28 for Barcelona, 4 for PSG, and 8 for Argentina. Robert Lewandowski came second. Jorginho came third. Uh, Fair result? How do you feel? It doesn't feel right, to be honest. I know he... It's just because since he's been at PSG, he's not exactly set the world alight. And it just, I don't know, it feels feels like they give it to him for the sake of giving it to him. But did not Lewandowski do enough? It's, it feels a bit weird to me, personally. Uh, he's also been taken ill afterwards with a stomach bug. I'm pretty sure Lewandowski probably fucking poisoned him immediately afterwards. <laughs> um, possibly the same thing Chuck's got. Was Chuck hanging out with Lewandowski in, uh, at the Bologna well, Awards? I don't know, but it could be a rival podcast 
podcaster perhaps mm. overheard us talking about our massive success with the two patreons who turned up to the meetup uh, <laughs> and uh, maybe decided <laughs> decided to poison him but uh yeah i think i think Lewandowski could have been could have been given a go this time but never mind i mean what what do you think do you think he is this over calendar year has he done enough i will say that his to go the full math robot nerd yeah, approach please do um, his underlying numbers, if you look at his like percentiles on the FBRF, like player comparison matrix thing, um, is basically 99th percentile for shots, for shots on target, for really? XG, XG plus XA. Like he is the 1%. He had an amazing statistical year last year, carrying an absolute garbage Barca team. It was not enough. Um, I don't think that's the reason he got it though, because no one cares about stats the way like me and the five people on Twitter do. Um, <laughs> So I think the reason they're giving it to him is because he finally got his first international major, which yes. I generally tend to not give a fuck about. Like, whatever. I don't care that Maradona has the World Cup and Messi doesn't. Like, that doesn't make Messi a worse player on the all-time list or whatever. Agreed. Um, but I'd have to say that, like, basically everyone in their ca- in their head subconsciously was like, oh, okay, the day that Messi finally wins a World Cup or Copa America, we're giving him the Ballon d'Or just by default. That's interesting that you say about sort of under not underlying numbers, but the rest of the team weren't maybe doing it. I mean, we're so used to seeing Messi in a team of absolute stars and and still being headers and sh- heads and shoulders above everyone else. So maybe I'm expecting too much, but uh, yeah, fair enough. I mean, it, it is weird that international honours matter with that sort of thing because you can't help where you were born. I mean, the best player in the world could have been born in San Marino and never do anything internationally. So right, yeah. yeah. Um, oh, and we should also shout out uh, Alexia Putellas, or Puteas, uh, who won the Women's Award. Um, she is the Barcelona captain, and she is the third winner of the Women's Ballon d'Or. And she came in ahead of her own teammate Jennifer Hermoso, Sam Kerr, Chelsea and Australia's own, and Vivian Miedema. Um, I would have thought it would be Sam Kerr, just because Chelsea and Australia, and also like clearly the best player in the Women's Super League in England. Um, but... I can't say that I've watched the women's Barcelona team, so I don't know enough. But, uh, you know, congratulations to her and to all the other winners. They made up an award just for Lewandowski to get something so he could feel better about himself. (laughs) Fair enough. So let's move on then from there to our next story. English football needs an independent regulator to stop it lurching from crisis to crisis, says the chair of a fan-led review into the sport. Former sports minister Tracy Crouch is calling on the government to create a new independent regulator for English football, dubbed the IREF. Uh, the review says this is necessary for the long-term financial stability of the men's professional game. Uh, sounds like a bunch of shit to me, considering that you guys just got $3 billion for the fucking U.S. rights. And they're like, but what about the money? How will we make money? <laughs> um I don't know that much about how like government regulations would interact with private business over there. So I was kind of hoping for some sort of take here from you about an independent regulator from the government to uh, sort of keep an eye on English football. While we've got a conservative government in charge that will uh, bend over to get absolutely done by business wherever possible, it feels like anything that they're, the Premier League is uh, pushing back against massively, as in the owners, uh, might be a good idea. And that's exactly what they're doing. So Premier League clubs are meeting to discuss this recommendation. And uh, ev- 
pretty much all the all the chairman are expected to raise uh, severe doubts about it, which makes me think it should probably be a good thing that should maybe go ahead. But one hundred percent, yes. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's a, it's a tricky one. It depends because I mean, it just, it just depends how whether it would have any teeth. You know, these things never seem to have any teeth. Even fi- financial fair play. You know, ultimately they found ways around it and stuff. So if there were salary caps, transfer levies, because that's that's one of the things they were looking at. I think is uh, putting a, a almost like a tax on transfers that would then then filter mm. down to grassroots. You know, which is seems seems like a good idea to help fund. Uh, this isn't about the pyramid, Oscar. I can almost feel you bristling <laughs> like, <laughs> to, to help fund like young kids playing, you know, and stuff like that. But um, they're obviously going to kick against anything that that leaks leaks money away. So it's it's very open ended how how this would work. And it, at the minute, it's just a proposal. Ultimately, I'm not sure anything will go ahead with it. Fair enough. Um, I too would be surprised if anything goes ahead, or if even if it does, it would have any teeth, as you say. Because, as we know, money talks, and as long as they keep getting billions and billions of dollars for the TV rights, I don't think anybody's trying to rock the boat. But, speaking of rocking the boat, we have FIFA president Gianni Infantino said opponents of plans to hold the World Cup every two years were, quote, afraid of change, as countries in Africa voiced support for the proposals. European Confederation, UEFA, and South American counterpart Comnable do not want to move away from the current four-year cycle. While England's Premier League is among several domestic leagues to have voiced opposition. Um, it happens in every sector of life when there are reforms and changes. Those who are at the top don't want anything to change because they are at the top. And they're afraid if maybe something changes, their leadership is position is at risk, etc., etc. Ian, two years, every two years, World Cup. Thumbs up, thumbs down. What are you at? Thumbs down, because I just don't think it needs to be that often. I think there's a, as we've discussed before, I think there's certain things where the rarity makes it what it is and the world cup definitely is one of one of those things the fact it's only every four years the fact that you can you know you can track your life in little those little four-year cycles uh of you know remembering where you were for certain games i just don't think it needs to it (laughs) doesn't need to change i'm one of the people who is afraid of change that the old white man gianni (laughs) fatino says um but that's exactly yeah that's exactly what i am Um, i i don't this is unnecessary. This is, as we all know, it's just FIFA trying to get more of a stranglehold on football uh, in their continuing fight with UEFA over the control of the game. Um, you know, UEFA have all the, the have the competitions that, as in the club competition, being the Champions League, that that is seen as the pinnacle. You know, it, the, the World Cup isn't seen as the pinnacle. You know, no, it, not at it, all. It's just not so. It's a it's a really fun and exciting novelty, but it is a novelty. Yeah, it, at its core, it is. You know, uh, th- that is true when it comes to standard of football, anyway. So right. it's you know it, it it's very strange that you've got certain people backing this idea. I mean, Wenger is is all in on this, and I don't really understand where is sudden need for a two yearly world cup is coming from but maybe if you check his bank account we might find out um but yeah i i i think it's entirely unnecessary and i you know do we need more football 
That's the thing. Do we need when when a, no. when a player's supposed to have a break? It's just it, it dilutes all these competitions, you know. Yeah, less football in my opinion. A lot less football in my opinion. Um, so that we can continue to have players to play the football whose muscles aren't made of you know scotch tape and uh, <laughs> cobwebs and magic. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Um, all right. Our last story. This one's a cool one. Something I've been trying to get to talk about like should be a thing that should happen for a long time so i didn't even know it was and i'm excited uh and that is that the use of technology to help officials make more accurate offside decisions will be tested at the fifa arab cup which starts on tuesday semi-automated offsides work using between 10 and 12 cameras collect up to 29 data points for every player 50 times per second Hmm. if it spots a potential offside an alert is sent to the var who has the final call the technology could be used at the 2022 fifa world cup what do you think one thing where I'm not opposed to change is this sort of thing. I think ultimately the more decisions you get right and the quicker you get them, the better. So I'm, I'm all for, all for this. So the, it, this is a combination of cameras and some sort of other technology. No, I think it was just cameras. It's um, just cameras. Yeah. 10 okay. to 12 cameras doing, tw- taking 29 data points 50 times per second on all of the players. That's in a staggering amount of data. That's so cool. Yeah, if they can if they can interpret that very quickly, that's impressive and will be, you know, incredibly accurate, I guess. So yeah. Technology for the win. Yeah, and honestly, like that is more important in my opinion than VAR. Um, would be like an actually functioning working offside rule that actually works. Yeah. Like Yeah. Because it's a binary decision. It's you're either offside or you aren't. So the more you can bring technology into something like that that isn't subjective. Exactly. You know, the only thing that's subjective about the offside rule is things like were they interfering with play, were they obscuring the view of the goalkeeper, that sort of thing is still going to require a human to make the decision, but the simple was some someone in front of someone else. The problem you'll get is, of course, that it, the, the more accurate you get with stuff like this, as we already saw with VAR being more accurate than just you know a linesman seeing something in real time, is that if someone is a millimeter offside you'll get people going oh that's not in the spirit of the game the the, the striker right. should have the benefit of the doubt but, yeah so you know you'll still get people arguing for that maybe the daylight rule or something where that you know there, there has to be daylight between the striker and the, the defender before they're considered offside which as long as that sort of implemented across the board is fine but you'll, you'll still get the same thing oh millimeter offside well it's you know they should be allowed to play on give the striker the benefit of the doubt you know you know what it reminds me of actually i just spent a bunch of time with my nephews over the weekend because it was thanksgiving so i was you know hanging out with the family and everything oh happy thanksgiving as well sorry man oh thank you yeah (laughs) um my youngest nephew who by the way shout out is in the barca youth academy let's go oh he got his jerseys and stuff he opened them or like they arrived while we were there it says like fucking barcelona pro academy on his jersey. So anyway, sorry, that's just a total that's side brag. That's amazing. Thing. I know. This kid is six, and he's got a through ball like Cesc Fabregas. You would not believe how good his passing is. It's outrageous. Oh, my goodness. That's Absolutely amazing. Outrageous. I know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, anyway, we were playing FIFA. He loves FIFA. I think that's why he can do like the passes. He like really sees it in his head. Right. Um, and he, he fucking hates the referees so much. And he hates the commentators. And he, like, is convinced that the referee and the commentators are, like, biased against him. 
So like they'll be like, oh, he's offside there, and he's he like yeah at six exactly. <laughs> he like mimics the the announcer and he's like, oh yeah, well you be like the voice that I do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he does the same thing to the <laughs> announcer. And I said to him like, hey, bud, do you like do you think that the announcer is like against you? And he goes, yeah, he's so unfair all the time. And I was like, he's six, right? So it was adorable, and I thought it was funny. But, but that's the same shit. Like, oh, he's just in the spirit of the game, he's not offside. Like, no, he's offside. Fuck off. It either is or isn't offside. Ugh. And like that, like you said, is exactly the kind of thing that technology is good for. Goal decision system, offside decision system, whatever yeah. you want to call it. Like, you know, Hawkeye, basically. You can use it in yeah. a bunch of different ways. Well, the, the goal decision system, I, I, it's been brilliant. You can't, you just can't argue with that. It's been brilliant. You get practically an instant decision. Apart from that one time, it did work for like Sheffield United or something. <laughs> Someone switched off. But apart that, like, you know, the goalkeeper can look at his watch and go, it's not gone off. Off you go. You know, you just stop getting in my face and arguing with me. I'm yeah, not going to exactly. give a goal because it's not gone off, you know. Um, and that's been, yeah, that's just been brilliant and would, you know, have saved Frank Lampard's goal against Germany. But we don't need to talk about that. So. <laughs> not that you're salty or anything. <laughs> for years, for the rest of my life. Yeah. All right. Um, that's enough news. Shall we get on the soccer? Let's do it. All right. Well, we'll we'll start with Saturday uh, the 27th of November at 12.30 slash 7.30 slash 4.30. And that was Arsenal 2, Newcastle 0. Arsenal 2.0 to Newcastle 0.2 on XG. Arsenal done played good. Yeah, they did. They did all right. I Did you say Newcastle 0.2? Yeah, 0.2. Ooh, yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it's just Newcastle. Me. So, like, our, you know, <laughs> we said Arsenal are a mid-table team. Mid-table teams should smack down the worst team in the league, and they did. And, you know, they'll get smacked down by Liverpool, which they did. Like, this isn't out of character, but in the spirit of fairness, I do think that they deserve to be praised for executing said smackdown that should be executed correctly, right? Like, (laughs) 2.0 to 0.2 is a smackdown. That's, like, fully a smackdown. And that's with Aubameyang being on the pitch. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. I I did enjoy, I assume it was you that tweeted it um, from the Mars Offside account about how... uh, Aubameyang's missed chance is why you never get a XG of one from a shot because it's you know every every fiber in your being goes, especially as a, a striker of Aubameyang's supposed quality, you will be saying that is a guaranteed goal every day yep. of the week. He's about three yards out. It 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 would have been more effort to do what he did and hit the outside of the post than it would have been to put it in. I mean, your six year old nephew, I would I would have backed to put it in by the sounds of it. That wasn't good. So, yeah, despite that, and I think that was uh, 0.62, I think, of XG. So they get less than a penalty still. It is about as high as you can get. Like, it's it's pretty outrageous of a chance to miss. I think just because it was coming from a high, high cross instead of yeah. like a pass on the ground, that's what knocks it down from like a 0.8 that you might otherwise expect. Fair enough. But, I mean, Arsenal did, Arsenal did control. They certainly controlled the first half. But, yeah, I think Arsenal did. You, you're exactly right. Arsenal just did a job didn't they? They did the job they needed to do. Um, what did you think of the various penalty shouts that were involved in this game? Because I don't want to be too uh, gammon about it, but I didn't think any of them were penalties. And some people seem to claim that there should have been a penalty for each side. And I was just like perfectly happy with everything. Yeah, I mean, they were all fine. Nothing was egregious, I would say. Got to have a bit of proper football, didn't you? Exactly. Um, I, know, I know Chuck was upset about how I think when Arsenal were 1-0 up, they were still putting so many men behind the ball. 
he was uh, loudly getting annoyed in the pub and go, look how many men they've got behind the ball. What, what, why are they doing this? They're only one nil up. Which was enjoyable. And I did slightly agree with him, actually. He were, we were watching it sometimes and there was like, fucking hell, they've got like seven or eight people behind the ball and, and Newcastle aren't even attacking. You know, you don't need to worry yeah, about Yeah, well, this. it's Newcastle, exactly. It is, it is Newcastle. But yeah, it's a, a, a functional... A, a functional win for Arsenal. I mean, does it tell us anything at all? Uh, that that second goal was fucking gorgeous over the shoulder volley. It does it doesn't tell us that. That was Martinelli, right? Was that he the one that scored that? Yes, Martinelli. Yeah. Oh, that touch, that goal, outrageous, absolutely outrageous. Yeah, that was something to see. Definitely, it must have made Aubameyang look down at his boots and go, "What what was wrong with my fifty p boots?" <laughs> <laughs> Let's move on then to Crystal Palace one, Villa two. Palace 0.9 to Villa 0.4. Villa done a Burnley ing to Palace. Uh, this would be somewhere where Chuck says, oh, we played well, we attacked, we scored, um, but we need to do better on set pieces and conceding silly goals. We say, yes, Chuck, you're absolutely right, but you guys look really good. Got to be happy about how good Palace continues to look. And Chuck says, yeah, I guess, okay. And then we move on, right? <laughs> You've pretty much called it. I mean, I don't want to be so dismissive, but... That is it. I mean, we we were at a situation there where I thought that the the set piece that they conceded in this game, I don't know that you can coach it out of them. I think it was Tompkins who just just lost his player. I mean, that's not mm. coaching. That's just a player shutting off concentration wise, and I don't know if that's coachable. Well, you can build in like into the systems something where even if one. Yeah. Guy just kind of switches off like there. You still are covered. I mean, I'm not a manager, right? So like, I'm not a set piece expert. But if they hired one, I'm sure that there are ways to sort of have a safety net of some sort that maybe isn't in place there. I don't know nearly enough about set pieces to be able to like definitively say that. But if they continue to concede, like it is something that they should probably bring someone into specifically. Do it was a tough game for Palace. This Villa, obviously under Gerard now, they didn't. They didn't make it easy for them. They controlled, they controlled the midfield quite well. Milivojevic, for me, doesn't look at the races this season as he has done in previous seasons. Um, well, he's always been really slow. Like yeah. he's always been painfully slow. I don't, I don't know how old he is actually, but he just he just did not look with it at all. Um, and. Yeah, it's a shame that Palace lose their, um, I think that was seven matches unbeaten before this. And it's a shame that they lose it to, to Villa, but they might be under the, the thing of a new manager bounce. So, I mean, what can you do? What can you do? Yeah, can't stop it. Can't stop it. Um, one little comment that, or one little sort of thing to be noted is that Eze was back, and I'm sure Chuck is over the moon excited about that. Yes. Um, is he playing today? I know we are recording um, while some games are happening. I don't know if Eze played or not. Uh, Eze has uh, started on the bench, uh, as he did against Villa as well. So obviously easing him back in. Ezeing him back in? Oh, good. Very good. Yep. Yeah, yep. enjoyable. Yeah, so they're, they're obviously just building up his match fitness slowly. I think he got um, about half an hour in the previous game. So if he gets some minutes under his belt tonight as well, then that'll be good. But Because yeah, I know Chuck's excited to have him back. Yeah, and early, man. He's back quick. Yeah, he really has come back quick. He's been seeing some doctors in Barcelona about some horse placentas. Yeah, for sure, for sure. But yeah, that'd be good. I mean, I still have 
which I would have never said at the start of the season. I'm perfectly willing to admit how wrong I was. Uh, but I, I still think Palace are under no real danger of considering who else is uh, down in the dumps in the Premier League. I don't think Palace are in any real danger this, this no, season. No, their underlying numbers continue to be great. This is yeah. further in the plus goal, expected goal differential column. Like They're a good team. They're a good team and, and they're playing good. All right. Well, um, let's move on then in our rundown. And that is on to the terrifying, terrifying Liverpool for... Southampton zero. At least there wasn't nine zero, right? Southampton, uh, two point five to one point zero on xG. A fully deserved smackdown. Um, four zero, maybe a bit of an overstatement, but a just comprehensive victory from Liverpool here, who continue to terrify, and I do not like it. No, thank you. Yeah, the, I mean, the more we're seeing of Liverpool, the more you are getting vindicated in your early shout that Liverpool were incredibly scary this season, and. I mean, you're not wrong there. It seems not missing uh, Wijnaldum and uh, not missing Firmino, who's been out with injury uh, for a few games. Jota's just doing things, isn't he? I mean, he's just absolutely on point at the minute. Uh, Salah remains consistent. Thiago's uh, come back strongly as well. That's the scary one. That's the new scary one. Is it? Yeah. Really? <laughs> okay. There's always something new and scary with them. And this currently the new scariest thing is Thiago being <laughs> like fully back because he is world class. And that's terrifying because he hadn't been. I think my, my new hot take is that this Liverpool team is actually the best Liverpool team of the Klopp era. I think despite the ones that won the Champions League, despite the one that won the league, I think that with the added sort of depth of dimension with Jota and with uh, Tiago potentially, they're just, they're so fucking scary. And with so many different ways, they have more, they're not so top heavy the way they were in some of those peak seasons. Um, it feels more balanced and they scare the fucking shit out of me, man. I think they're the best team in the league. Let's see what their underlying numbers say. Uh, Premier League overview. Yeah, they're top for expected goal difference per 90. They passed Man City. So they are officially by the underlying numbers, the best team in the league right now terrifying yeah i mean when it comes to them going forward there's a a stat knocking about that they uh, haven't haven't scored less than two since in a game since the 28th of august which was uh, the game against chelsea holy shit it's insane since so since that 1-1 against chelsea they've in their games they've scored uh, three three against milan three against palace three against not in a sorry norwich Three against Brentford, five against Porto, two against Man City, five against Watford, three against Atletico. I mean, it, and it just goes on. It's that's it's nuts. unbelievable, unfucking believable. They're scary good. They're just fucking scary good, man. They remind me, and this is the most painful thing to say, of Chelsea 2010, and that is my favorite Chelsea team. So, and and what what reminds you is that the how they are going forward or yeah yeah yeah. the way they go into attack the way they transition so Mm. immediately threatening the moment you would blink yeah and like just just steamrolling teams and we finished that season with like a five zero seven zero four zero five zero and an eight zero like and that's how this liverpool team feels like they feel capable of that Mm. you know we scored I think, and if you looked into like the beginning of the next season, we were averaging like four and a half goals a game over like a 10 game streak there. Like, yeah. fucking obscene numbers. And 
And like these guys feel capable of that. I wouldn't be surprised if they do some crazy shit like that. Like it, they're just scary. I don't like it. I hate it. I'm sad. Giving off the same vibes, definitely. And they've got. I mean, well, well, obviously we might not get this out before tomorrow's games, but they've got Everton tomorrow, who look terrible at the minute. Mm. Uh, Wolves on Saturday. Uh, well, I'm just talking Premier League here, and then Aston Villa, and then Newcastle. I mean, it doesn't look like it's going to stop anytime soon, does it? They could be at 50 goals by Christmas. They're at they're at 39 goals already. Holy fuck, that's insane! And they are now two points out of first with us dropping points. So it's them on 28, City on 29, us on 30. So it's two points separating the top three. Um, and they are like 1A and 1B with City at this point at the top of that. Like, terrifying. Speaking of City, um, we should go on to Manchester City's game. Manchester City 2, West Ham 1, Manchester City 2.1 to West Ham's 0.2. So, speaking of fucking Smackdowns, and West Ham, a good team to do that to. West Ham are a very good team. Yeah, I think this was just a game that showed us it, things we maybe already knew, but it was just a case of West Ham have been really good this season. I mean, really good for a while now, if we're honest, but they're just not in that top echelon yet, and they're quite away from it based on, based mm-hmm. on this. Mm-hmm, they mm-hmm. really struggled to get to get near Man City, who who controlled the game pretty much start to finish. I mean, they. I think it shows the standards when um, Lanzini got his last minute or whatever it was goal, and I mean Edison was furious. I mean they're, they're still winning. The, they're going to win the game two one, but you know, absolutely furious that. Well, that you know, keepers got to be keepers. Yeah, but it's a, it, it's good. It shows the standards that that are expected. You know. Um, but yeah, I don't think it, I don't think it really shows us anything because West Ham have been, probably been the best of the rest for calendar year. Um, but they're not up there in that top three or four. I would say top three or four. Are they in the top four? I don't, I don't know. It's, uh, I mean, they are, they are tied for the fourth best right now with Palace, actually. Uh, unexpected goal difference on per 90. Mm-hmm, on right. numbers. Okay. So it's them and Palace at plus 0.25. From there, you jump up to Chelsea at plus 0.92. And then you jump up to City and Liverpool at plus 1.55 and plus 1.6. So, a massive fucking jump. Uh, where, are, where are Arsenal in those uh, underlying numbers? <laughs> Being entirely genuine for once. <laughs> oh, well, uh, let me count. <laughs> oh. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12... 13th, negative 0.35. So Arsenal are more negative than Palace are positive per 90. Yeah. It's just, it's interesting just because, you know, as a just someone who watches the games and generally just, you know, to use an FPL term, just uses the eye test. Like I feel like Arsenal were in the ascendancy and would be a, a rival for West Ham for any sort of fourth spot at the minute because it, at the minute it feels like they've got the m- momentum. Uh, but so, so for you to say that their numbers are so low is, is interesting. Maybe West Ham don't need to worry quite so much, but yeah. Yeah. Okay. Arsenal are level with West Ham on points, but their underlying numbers project much, much worse. So. Right. Okay. I, I do not even remotely consider Arsenal in the top four race. And I do consider West Ham potentially in the top four race. Uh, although given news of other things, uh, it might, uh, it might be pretty sealed and signed as to who fourth place will be. Um, which I guess is a good place to transition to the final match of the weekend. 
Uh, shout out all the matches that we didn't talk about because nobody can make <laughs> there me. There were some good ones, but you know. <laughs> sure. Yeah. I mean, Lester scored four, but I don't care about Lester. So who cares? <laughs> um, we got Chelsea. What? Oh, damn it. Mr. Simpson, can you cl- cue the jingle, please? Oh, no. Oh, they're better than they ought to be. Burnley of the week. That's right. We had a Burnley of the week here. Much to my chagrin. Chelsea 1, Manchester United 1, Chelsea 2.9. Oh, to Manchester United's 0.7. Uh, you know, wasted chances, bad romances, and second glances, <laughs> and etc. I don't know where uh, I'm going with this. Oh, I thought you might have another one, but you did well as it was. <laughs> yeah, I. it was Chelsea doing what Chelsea occasionally do and what you, you worry about all the time, which is not finishing the chances that are created, because Werner... And I know you want to support him, and I, I, I do as well. <laughs> but like, he just looks—he just looks lost when he gets the ball. He doesn't look. Yeah, he's got a bit of the panic to him. Yeah, definitely. Is I mean, it, uh, a few goals, and that might settle his confidence. But I just don't see what, where they're coming from at the minute. Um, well, he scored against Juventus in the midweek. We we fucking smacked Juventus down four zero, which obviously we're not going to talk about because it's the Champions League. We never do. But like that, we went from like a fucking statement victory to this disappointing thing but you know he scored there like he's not he has been scoring recently he scored for germany too so he's not like ice cold yeah understood yeah he's just not bringing any of that form to to it's like harry kane for england um anyway (laughs) (laughs) Um, but yeah it's i mean man united set up really negatively for this game and but also, I mean, they brought it up in, I assume you won't have seen it, but they brought it up in Match of the Day where there was, which was a good bit of analysis, actually, where they were talking about how uh, McTominay, when Chelsea were attacking, McTominay was dropping uh, into a, like a back five. Yeah, yeah, I noticed that. It, when it was laid out to me, obviously, I don't see it during the game. I don't see anything like that. But like, when, it, when it was pointed <laughs> out, it was... It was really good because it did mean it did mean that they could spread across and and right. you know what yeah was they were matching it, uh, Chelsea's shape. It's just like a Chelsea shape upside down basically. So it like was a smart decision. Um, I give Michael Carrick credit for that. 100%. They set up negatively, but they set up negatively in a purposeful way. And yes, mm. we should have fucking won three to one. Like we we played better than them and deserved a win. But they had a plan. And they executed the plan. They set up to defend and counterattack with Jaden Sancho and Marcus Rashford up front with their speed and mm. their skill to be able to put something away just on their own the way Sancho did. Um, shout out, Jorginho. <laughs> Brutal. <laughs> um, I give them credit. I do give United credit here. I think that Michael Carrick was a great central defensive midfielder, and he started a game with three central defensive midfielders in his lineup. <laughs> like. And yeah. it worked. It contained Chelsea. There's not much you can do to this Chelsea team. And they did a pretty decent job, for the most part, of frustrating them, at the very least. And yeah, we generated 2.9, but like a lot of those felt rushed chances. Yeah. Like they were getting yeah. the shots off, which then contributes to the XG, but they didn't feel, other than Callum and, oh my god, Tony Rudiger at the end there, brutal miss, those two felt egregious, but the rest, like, I could see why. There was enough nearby pressure when they were getting the shots off that it wasn't like, oh, how did you not score that? Blah, blah, blah. 
a frustrating watch, a really fucking frustrating watch as a Chelsea fan. Yeah, I can imagine. I mean, as you say, I think it was interesting to see that they had some defensive nous about them, at least, which just hasn't happened previously. It's almost like having a system is better than having Ole and not a system. Yeah, I don't yeah know. it's I don't know. almost like that. Yeah. <laughs> so um, how much does this new manager for Man United worry you? Yeah, that's a good transition because I think this particular match, like we should have won, we didn't. It's frustrating. I'm angry, but like, what? Are, there's not much to read into it. Um, but his appointment is fucking worst, absolute fucking worst case scenario of what I was talking about last week. Mm. I think that he is one an excellent manager. If you look at the people that have been his assistant managers or worked under him, you have Thomas Tuchel, you have Julian Nagelsmann, you have Ralph Hasenhutl, you have Frank. You have like, not Frank Lampard, uh, Thomas Frank, all the like tactically interesting, punching above their weight, dominating in the case of Tuchel, like the world, you know, mm. one of the three best managers, like, and just fully hashing it out with the other two. Like that all of these guys learned under Ragnick, Rangnick, I have a trouble, a hard time with his last yeah, name, no. <laughs> um, is terrifying. And then even worse than that, is yes, they brought him in on a six-month interim manager contract, so that pretty much gives them like fourth place, I think, for this year. I think he's going to come in and instantly make them better. Yeah. Um, but they gave him a two-year deal as a not director of football, director of football consultant man. Um, yeah. And he has shown many times in his recent history that he can run an entire club into like a fucking – I mean, look at Leipzig. Leipzig yeah. were not a team that mattered or anything, and then they arguably are the second best team in Germany now, or they were before they sold Timo to us. Um, and he did that. He oversaw that project, and in like two years, was able to like make them that. And he did that before then with um, Hoffenheim, I think. Hoffenheim, right? Was that the yeah. first team he was at? Mm-hmm. Hoffenheim were nothing, and then he made them like a mid-table team, punching way above their budget, way above their weight. If the United board are smart enough to listen to him, which they brought him in to be the director of football. So I would assume that that is their plan. That's fucking terrifying. That's fucking terrifying because then within three years, I could see them being United. That is United. Like the bad, scary United, not the bad, hilarious United. He also is known for having the balls to fight, to bench players that don't offer much in the way of pressing. He has a high pressing system. Um, he doesn't use the pressing in the same way as like a Tuchel or even a Klopp, but he is a high energy, high pressing system and he expects every single person to put in that work. And he does drop people no matter who they are, if they don't. And like, if you look at his numbers, he who shall not be named has some of the worst pressing numbers and the worst off the ball movement of anyone in the league. Um, he's basically only taking shots and offering nothing else whatsoever. So. He might come in and bench him. He might come in and like say, all right, next summer we have to sell him. That's where I could see maybe some conflict being with the board in terms of like, oh, but he's too good of like PR or he sells jerseys or whatever. But Mm. if they're bringing him in to do the job that they're bringing him in to do and let him do the job that they're bringing him in to let him do, terrifying. Fucking terrifying. Worst case scenario. Absolutely fucking terrifying. You've mentioned one there, but there is only two areas I think where this feels like it might not be a good fit. So one of them is what you mentioned there, that he's a proponent, possibly the inventor of the gay compress. 
as what I've seen in a few things. So, um, you know, and that is not Man United's game at the minute. There was a bit more pressing on Chelsea um, in this game, but it wasn't all over the pitch. Is that going to be a major problem? You've already addressed like some of that there, that he's not afraid to uh, bench people who don't do that. And the other thing, which sort of maybe ties in with that anyway, is that he is someone who really looks towards youth. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Man United have probably looked best this season when they've relied on experience rather than youth. I'm mm. not sure they're... I don't know that I agree with that, man. No? I think their two best players are Rashford and Sancho. And I think Rashford. that when they've looked the best has been like in the last couple of games where Sancho and Rashford have been playing off each other. And those are two very young players. Yeah, you might be right. I Maybe I'm just looking more at the whole season where I just don't think Rashford's been particularly great this season. Sancho hasn't has only recently found his mm-hmm. feet. So, you know, maybe I'm being a, a bit harsh, but it. I just don't know whether Man United are immediately set up to... Um, capitalize on his strengths. That's all. But it might not matter because, as you say, as you've said all along, to be honest, Man United have got the players, right. you know, the, without a doubt. And, uh, you know, you might just need a manager with half a bit of tactical nous and you've got fourth place. So it might, you know, that might, it, the fact that he's going to have some ideas when Ole had no ideas, that, that might just be enough to do it anyway in a year where, other teams seem to be struggling to be in the race. Arsenal doing all right at the minute, but started badly. Tottenham inconsistent. You know, we'll see. We'll see what happens. They've got a good fixture run now, but we'll see. Um, and and then you've got West Ham, who are sort of generally new to the fight. So if if he's even half decent, you feel like Man United are probably gonna probably gonna be able to guarantee themselves fourth. You're right. Sancho and Rashford are the sorts of players who are going to benefit from him coming in. I'm I'm half thinking about Rashford as a cheeky punt for FPL because I think he, I'd be looking will. at Sancho. I don't know what his price is, but I would absolutely be looking at Sancho. Yeah. Okay. I'm assuming he's lost a ton of value from the start of the season, so he's probably pretty cheap. Probably. If I had to guess, yeah. if I know FPL, yeah. but I think I think they have the right players. I think it's going to be a matter of. What do you do with the names that aren't those players? Okay. And how does how does he navigate those waters? Um but I certainly think that they have the players to play a Rangnick type system very, very successfully. In whatever variation that is, because there's been a few different ones. Um, but I, I think like especially Sancho and and Rashford, and like honestly Bruno in the middle, uh, depending on the system. Like, is just fucking gonna shine, gonna shine. It scares me and I hate it, so. Bad times. Bad times all around, man. Bad times at United, bad times at Liverpool, bad times at Chelsea losing or drawing or whatever. And Lukaku, man. Sorry, I'm gonna go back on Chelsea just for a second. He should have brought Lukaku on sooner. I'm annoyed at that. But Lukaku came on and, and like, didn't really look that much, but he had, like, five minutes to play, so, like, who knows? Who have Chelsea got next? Uh, Chelsea play against Watford tomorrow at the time of recording. Yeah, yeah. So we'll we'll know, or the the listener will probably know what's happened already. But uh, yeah, you think Lukaku's going to get some minutes in that game then? Yes, I would guess that the front three will be Lukaku, Pulisic, and Mount, probably, or Lukaku, Pulisic, and Werner. 
I think the midfield is going to have to be Saul and Ruben because everyone else is hurt, which is <laughs> not good. No. Um, Chile, knee injury, potentially out for the rest of the season, at the very least out until yeah, 2022. That's, that's really frustrating. Uh, so obviously we'll see Alonso. Reese is a doubt, so I guess we'll see Aspi. Um, and the back three are always Chiloba, Silva, and Rudiger. So there's your lineup for tomorrow, folks, if you need to <laughs> need to know. Yeah, I don't know. I th- we better fucking smack the shit out of Watford. Like, I want a 5-0 or I'm going to be cranky. So I'm probably <laughs> going to be cranky. Yeah, maybe. Okay, well, I mean, we, we, let's wrap it up, I suppose, because we've smashed through the football. There's more football midweek. Uh, Leeds, are, as it stands, Leeds are still drawing nil-nil with Palace. Newcastle drew 1-1 with Norwich. Newcastle... What the fuck? <laughs> they're going down, man. They're going down, down in an earlier round. <laughs> Baby, they're going down, not swinging. <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't know if you saw anything that happened with this Newcastle-Norwich game. Uh, Newcastle got a player sent off after 10 minutes. Oh, nice. Smart. In a game that they really, really, really could have done with winning. And uh, Kieran Clark pulls, uh, I think it was Pookie back, denying an obvious, obvious goal-scoring opportunity. Like... Let him score and stay on the pitch for another 80 minutes. <laughs> what, what are you doing in ten, 10 minutes in such a... Uh, impressing your new manager? I mean, for fuck's sake, Newcastle players just don't seem to realise that... Uh, I mean, we had Shelby before doing... I mean, Christ's sake, they're so dumb. Um, anyway. They sure are. Uh, check in on the relegation percentages uh, yeah, since you brought it up. Yeah. We have Norwich at 75% to go down. That is all but done and dusted. Newcastle at 70%. They're more likely to go down than Peterborough is. (laughs) Fuck it up. And then Watford, Burnley, and Leeds kind of sharing the the third relegation spot percentages at 37-34. They're so far from safety. And Leeds are the ones who they're... yeah, Leeds are the ones who they're chasing, and I don't think Leeds have any danger of actually going down. So we're talking, there's so many points from safety, it's a real worry. Um, and by worry, I mean hilarious. Um, yes. Checking in <laughs> on the title race, we have Man City at 47. I don't know what 538 sees that other people don't, um, but they yeah. really like City. Oh, I guess the Champions League run at the end of last season, that makes sense. Uh, City at 47, Liverpool at 31, which seems low to me, and Chelsea at 22, which seems about right. I would say that the other two are probably closer to like 40 and 40. I feel like it's closer to an even split than that, but but 40 40 20 is still pretty pretty even of a split, I would say. But yeah. Um and then for the fourth place we have West Ham at 33%, Arsenal at 23% and United at 20%. So pretty close. I guess 538 likes Arsenal. Uh, 538 doesn't only use XG, they use other stuff in their projections and it often disagrees with people until like late in the season hmm. but i've never really bothered to keep track of which one ends up being right earlier i should <laughs> the cogs are turning yeah, yeah exactly <laughs> click 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 click. as if i need any more fucking things on my plate right now um yeah more stats to look at yeah um but yeah we'll we'll wrap up now we were unexpectedly a twosome uh tonight and uh we obviously want to wish chuck all the best and hope he hope he gets better but um if you want to help us out in this uh, recording regard, then you can uh, go on patreon.com slash marsoffsidepod. Uh, get on the Slack. There's extra FPL pods. There's extra uh, nerdy pods that Oscar does, reviews of Marvel films and such like. Um, did you see the new Spider-Man? Has that happened yet? 
The new Spider-Man is happening in December. I got my tickets, though. Very exciting. Um, And I will be doing a review of Hawkeye at some point soon. The first two episodes are up. The third episode will be up tomorrow at the time of recording. So we'll be halfway through the season. So probably this past weekend, I didn't record anything because I was, you know, home for the holidays. Um, But this weekend, probably my usual 4 a.m. sexy, nerdy voice uh, on Saturday before the soccer happens. I'll record about the first three episodes of Hawkeye. Exciting times. So, yeah, all that's left to do, I think, is thank our producers, uh, Andy, Mark, Jeff, Johnny, Nate. Thanks for keeping us going. Thanks to all the Patreons. And thanks to you for listening and supporting the pod as well. And uh, happy Thanksgiving to you, Oscar. Yeah, yeah. Actually, in the spirit of Thanksgiving, I guess I'll say uh, thank you to the listeners. If it wasn't for you wonderful people, I wouldn't get to talk to my two friends every week and just chat shit about soccer and record it. I mean, I guess we could do that, but it would be really weird because nah, nah, no one... As soon as this podcast ends, I'm never talking to you again. Yeah, fair um, enough. But yeah, no worries. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Bye.